You're listening to the On the NBA Beat Podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant. It's a shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh! A spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fisher. Welcome to the show. We're going international on this edition as we head up to the Great White North and talk about the Toronto Raptors with Holly McKenzie, who's been writing for Raptors.com since 2014 and various other sites since 2008, though you might know her better by her alias and Twitter handle, StackMac. Of course, a nod to the erstwhile NBA player, Stephen Stackjack Jackson. Hey Holly, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Of course, thanks for having me. Beginning generally first, a big story this season in the NBA has been the crowded playoff picture in the East. Now, Toronto is in second right now, but they're almost as close to the eighth seed as number one. (laughs) But they are sixth in offensive efficiency and 11th in defensive efficiency. Is there still sort of a sense that everyone in the East, including Toronto's chasing Cleveland? Uh, it just it feels really weird to finally have this really close, jumbled Eastern Conference. That's usually what we see in the Western Conference. I was saying to a friend of mine the other day that I, I really want some separation soon because I, like, I can't imagine covering a team down the stretch when it's that stressful. <laughs> like, like not knowing what the situations are going to be or who, you're, who have any idea facing who or what's going on. So it's interesting. It's it's uh it's definitely something that we haven't seen in a while. It's fun. It's fun now. I think that, you know, closer to the end of the season it would be nice to have a little bit more room between things so we sort of know how things are gonna shake out. But with respect to the Cavs, yeah, I think I don't think it's any surprise that everyone um that's the team to be there sort of above everyone else. I think the people are starting to sort of see or watch or give a little bit of you know, pay attention to the Raptors a bit. Sometimes people sort of dismiss them. And that can happen when you haven't had a lot of success in the postseason. But I think if you do look at um, the first half of the year in Cleveland, and then I think that the Raptors have been, um, you know, one of, I would say, standing-wise, yes, they are second in the East right now at the halfway point. But I think even just looking beyond the standings, I would say they probably have been the second-best team in the East. Maybe I'm a little bit biased. I think that that was the biggest thing for them coming into the season is the way that they went out in the playoffs last year, getting swept by the Wizards. Um, they definitely wanted to revamp the roster and really go back to being a defensive-minded team. That's what Dwayne Casey's known for. That's what he wanted. He wanted a team with the personnel to do that. And I think that's the biggest thing that both he and the players are happy with right now is the fact that they are more balanced. That's sort of what they mention every day whenever they are talking about the second half of the season and what they want to be improving on. Yeah, and as you mentioned, this team has been pretty good in the recent years, but they have had some struggles in the playoffs, and they seem to be in that sort of mid-zone of being a pretty good but not elite caliber team. And we know in this NBA that that's a pretty hard position to be in. So in your mind, do you think there are any changes that need to be made to finally get over that? Yeah, that's... No, that's an interesting question because I think I think the trade deadline this year is going to be really interesting. And for the Raptors especially, I'm not sure if they're going to make a move. I know on one hand, a lot of people say, 
well, it looks like they're close in the east. You know, everyone's close. Everyone is close in standings, but sort of wide open. It's either going to be Cleveland or someone else. But for me, I kind of feel like maybe they're going to stand pat just because the first half of the season they did have two significant injuries to two of their starters. You know, Salantunas uh, missed 17 games with a fractured hand. Mary Carroll is still out after going under uh, surgery on his right knee. He has missed 18 of the first 41 games. I think because of those injuries, they haven't gotten a really good opportunity to look at what this team can do with their five starters on the floor healthy and contributing. And the fact that they've been able to go 26 and 15 despite those guys being out, I kind of feel like maybe they will will stick with this group and see and see what happens with this group as is. I think also the off season is going to be a huge turning point for this franchise. DeMar DeRozan has a player option for next season, but he's really unlikely to exercise it. So he'll probably be a free agent. And uh, th- you can be sure there are going to be teams, possibly the Lakers and other teams that are willing to throw that money at him. What do you think the Raptors should do and what will go into that decision this coming off season? Yeah, uh, I think that DeMar is certainly doing everything that he needs to do this season to ensure he does get lots of offers and money thrown at him. <laughs> uh, it's always good to have the kind of season he's having when that's what's what is ahead for you. I think that DeMar's relationship with Toronto is interesting only because he came in at 19 as a rookie. And when he came in, he he acknowledged that he had no idea. He didn't know anything except for home, except for Los Angeles, you know? And he said, I had no idea what Canada was going to be like, what Toronto was going to be like. He came at an interesting time because it was, you know, the whole Chris Bosch thing. Chris was just leaving. Um, so he got to watch all of that unfold, too. So he got a really good history lesson in his first season of the Raptors history and players coming and then leaving. And he has been steadfast since he's been there about his loyalty to to the city for, for drafting him and giving him an opportunity to live out his dream. And he, you know, now he's the longest tenured guy on the team. Uh, Amir Johnson was uh, the longest tenured with him, but he obviously left for Boston to tough off season. So, yeah, I think he takes pride in being the longest guy, the longest tenured guy on the team. And I think for him, he also takes pride in helping bring the team back from, from some of the lower points that he had endured in the beginning, the beginning um, of his career to where it is now. And also the relationship with me and Kyle Lowry is really interesting. If you remember <laughs> when Lowry, uh, everyone was wondering if Lowry was going to re-sign with the Raptors or not. Everyone kept pointing to the relationship between Kyle and DeMar, and the two of them, like, often guys can be close on a team in a locker room, especially when they're sharing so much time together on the floor. Those two are, I can't, you can't overstate how tight they are. Like, their families are tight. They're, they hang out together. They, you know, they talk about going to one another's houses and being in their fridges, and they're together all the time. They're really close. Uh, last year in the year end availabilities when people asked DeMar about Kyle and whether he was worried whether or not Kyle would come back. He was just like, I don't, we don't even have to talk about that. Like, it's fine. Like, I'm not worried <laughs> about Kyle. Like, he, yeah, no. And, and, you know, there's the stories of when Kyle got his deal. He, you know, called DeMar and DeMar was on a plane going to do a promotional tour. Um, I think it was, I think maybe, I think it was in China. I may be getting that, that, um, location wrong, but DeMar was saying he racked up this huge phone bill that Kyle had to pay. <laughs> Because, uh, he was calling him to tell him it was settled and he was like, yeah, of course it was. Like, I, I never doubted it. Um, so it would be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what happens, but I do, I definitely think that, um, DeMar and, and Kyle have a really, a really neat, uh, bond on the, on the floor and off. And, uh, his relationship with Toronto has been interesting watching it, watching it unfold and just, 
for fans, it's been, it, they, they, like, I think it's been nice for them to see a guy who really embraces being here and, and, and being the longest tenured guy. I'm glad you mentioned the relationship between those two guys. I think a lot of people get a kick out of it. I certainly do. When They're they hilarious. Do media availability together, whether it's press conferences or media scrums. When they were in London, I'm sure you heard probably yeah. were the one and three, one and two thing that DeMar DeRozan got confused and then Kyle Lowry. USC, baby. USC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all I of did. us are and USC that is, along, too. <laughs> That is those two every day. (laughs) Yeah, it seems like a a great dynamic between the two. And this is going to be probably be pretty obvious, but why is Kyle Lowry so important to the team? He he has just progressed so much uh, to this point, and he's just such a solid, consistent guy. Yeah, the team sort of goes as he goes, and that was the case last year as well. Um, And as you saw in the second half of the season, not to put everything on Kyle, obviously there were other issues. There, you know, they were so offensive-minded and they didn't really have any focus defensively. But Kyle wasn't right after the All-Star break, the second half of the season. He won't admit it, he won't talk about it, but anyone watching could tell that, you know, he his play was not the same in the second half of the season as it was in the first. And you could see that the team wasn't the same in the second half of the season um, as they were in the first. So for this team, I think that he sort of, starts everything. Everything starts with him. Uh, he does so much for them, and the way that he plays, he's such a competitive guy. It's hard, it's hard to not beat up that. You hear the players talk about just his will to win, and sometimes you can even see that in games, in close games. One thing that this team does have a tendency to do, it's the one thing that you're never supposed to do, which is play up or play down to your competition. Sometimes if they're playing a team that doesn't have a great record, they will come out really flat. That happened in Philadelphia. Philadelphia reeled off 12 run which was, you know, sort of a nightmare start <laughs> on, on the end of a road trip before going to London. Philadelphia is also Kyle's hometown, and he always plays really well there. And you could see him taking over at the start of the fourth quarter, which is something that he has done for this team a lot this season. And the fourth quarter is really when he just, you know, starts scoring and doing everything and just putting getting a push on while DeMar is on the bench. Uh, and you see him, you see him scoring and then yelling at his teammates, you know, like firing them up, just really energizing them. And it's cool. It's cool to see his growth as a player, but also as a leader from, from when he came here to, to now to seeing him know his teammates, uh, learn how each guy can be motivated and, and, and watching him do that has been really cool to watch because you see the impact, uh, on the floor and you also see it within the locker room. The group really does get along and they, they have a good, a good sense of each other, but also despite having so many new faces this year, the chemistry is so good that you know, when they talk about not caring who gets the credit or being focused on both ends of the floor, it comes through. That's what I mean when I say balanced. They just seem like a more balanced group than the, than the team last year. Fresh off his best NBA season of his career, Damari Carroll was the team's marquee free agent acquisition in the offseason. But with him expected to be sidelined beyond the All-Star break now, what are the Raptors missing? And while he's injured, the plan was to distribute his minutes fairly evenly among James Johnson, Patrick Patterson, and Terrence Roth. How's that working out? Yeah, well, I think if you look at the if you look at the record, uh, it's working out pretty well, probably better than people would have assumed. I think going into the season, Damari's signing was so hyped for so many reasons. The team was really excited about having a player like that. They had wanted a player of his caliber, of his skill set for a really long time. So it's definitely been disappointing that he has been injured. He uh, spoke to the media for the first time 
uh, post-surgery on Monday night before the team game against the Nets. And Damari's great, one of the funnest guys to cover. I've barely gotten to spend time with him because the team has been gone so much the first half of the season. They've been on the road, and then he was injured. But from the time that we've gotten to be around him, when he was when he first signed here, so many writers from the, from uh, Utah and um, Atlanta uh, reached out to say, "You're going to love him. Like he's incredible to talk to." And so far, that has proved absolutely right. But he, you know, he didn't give timeline or any of that. Didn't say when he's going to be back. But he said he's feeling good and he's ahead of schedule, which was good. But the thing that was interesting to hear him say was that you know sometimes you won't understand it and by you he meant media and people who are not professional athletes which we sometimes forget we don't really understand what they're doing uh he just said sometimes you don't under like you won't understand trying to play through something and he was saying how much he hated sitting so he was trying to play through injuries various injuries throughout the first half of the, the season there was the knee issue um he said he had said that he had hurt his knee in their game against the pelicans which was in the beginning of december so he had tried to play through it and ended up not being able to. But in addition to that, he had a heel issue, plantar fasciitis. His body was just really hurting. He didn't really start the season healthy. Um, so when he was asked if he felt like the, the fans had gotten a chance to see what he could do, or if he even had a chance to like do like do all of the things that he thought that he could do or bring to the team, he didn't get a chance to do that. So I think that's a really big positive for the team, thinking that they have this record without those two starters. Um, they've seen bits of what Demario can do, and he definitely fits in and, and addresses needs for them. Um, but that he wasn't at his full strength at any point, I think that that's uh, a good thing to think that that's going to be coming to them after the break. But as for the guys stepping in, yeah, I think they've done a good job. I mean, I think that James Johnson has always been a question mark. He's been up and he's been down a lot of times. A lot has been made of uh, his minutes when he does play, when he doesn't play. Uh, but I think when they have called on him, he's done a good job. I think that he's really gotten better at recognizing his role and, like, picking his spots and not trying to do too much. And I think that comes with just a comfort in knowing he's going to play. And I think that Terrence Ross has really, for a really, really rough start to the season, I think that he had a strong uh, December, and I think that he's continuing to play well play well that, for them so far in the new year. Yeah, hopefully Damari Carroll comes back when he's fully healthy and he can contribute down the stretch. Last season, Lou Williams was the NBA's sixth man of the year. Obviously, he's no longer with the Raptors. He's a Laker. Are the Raptors missing his big-time scoring? Or does their deep roster adequately replace his contribution? You know, Lou was so much fun to have on the team. He was really fun to cover. I've always been a really, really big fan of Lou, like ever since he came into the league. I really love, like, undersized guys that shoot a lot. Isaiah Thomas is also a favorite of mine. Shocking, I know. Uh, um, but no, I, I, I actually thought that the team would miss Lou more than what they have. I thought that, um, you know, they were definitely more offensive minded last year, but I just thought his ability to create for himself, um, and to get points on the board when, when everyone else was struggling would be something that they may miss. But I think they really have done a good job, uh, on both ends of, of the floor. While they've improved defensively, their offense has still been really good. Um, and they're, and they're finding guys to score. I think, uh, Patrick Patterson's been really up and down, especially on the offensive end, but he's doing other things when he's out there. Luis Scola came here. No one expected him to win a starting position. He has. He's kept it. Also, no one expected him to be stepping out and hitting threes the way the way that he has been. Corey Joseph has been great. Like I, I, I really think the team brought, wanted to get better defensively, and they did, and they targeted 
uh, defensive players, but at the same time, um, other guys have gotten to, to fill bigger roles offensively, and it's, it's really worked out for them so far. Yeah, Corey Joseph's been really great, the Toronto native, and Bismack Biombo too, has been important mm. off the bench in his first season with the Raptors. I want to talk about Jonas Valanciunas. Mm-hmm. He's, he was um, probably expected by many people to play a larger role on the team, but it seems like he's pretty much leveled off. His improvement over the last few years, if there even is improvement, has been very slight. And the team has gone 11 and 6 without him. Where do you think he is? Is the ceiling not much higher? I do think he has a higher ceiling. I think that he still has a lot, a lot of improvements that he can make. Um, I think that it's such a cliche to say it, but sometimes cliches are true <laughs> for a reason. Um, big men do sometimes take longer to develop and to come to, into their own. And I think with Jonas for, the past couple of years, the team didn't really rely on him down the stretch. He didn't really play a lot in the fourth quarter. So he often didn't have those opportunities in the way that he is expected to this year. Because of the injury this year, obviously, as you said, they went 11-6 and six without him. I don't really think that's a discredit to him or that shows that they're better without him or anything like that. I think that that's just nonsense to assume that or think that. I think Biombo, Bismack has played really, really well um, in his absence, but I do think that he will improve and you'll see more of what he can do as he gets more opportunities to be in those big moments. Um, I'm not sure what he will, what his career will end up looking like or, you know, what he'll average when it's all over or anything like that. Um, but I do think that the team is becoming more comfortable with him. Um, and I think he's starting to become more comfortable in, in, uh, in having a bigger role. You mentioned Terrence Ross before, and I wanted to get back to him. He dropped 51 against the Clippers mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. He shows just such bright flashes of excellence. He hasn't been as good in January as he was in December, still playing well, but sometimes he's just invisible on offense. I know he doesn't have a huge role on this team, but is there any cause for concern about him and his development? He's also really young. He is really young, and that game that you mentioned will always haunt me because I was not there. I was actually in Erie watching a D-League game because I had gone to Cleveland the weekend prior to write something on Tristan Thompson, and there was a huge snowstorm, and I got stuck there, and then I got stuck in Erie. So when I was in Erie, I thought, hey, this is is a D-League team here. This is really exciting, and I was really excited about going to the game, and then I kept getting updates on my phone, and it was like, Oh my God, Terrence has 30 points. And it was like, what? Terrence Ross? Oh my God, Terrence has 40 points. Like, I thought that people were like joking with me until I opened the app, uh, the, 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 um, the score app. And yeah, I missed, I missed, uh, I missed one of the greatest, <laughs> one of the greatest performances of Terrence's career. You always have none fun. of us were, none of us were expecting. It uh, happened so. though. There's evidence that it happened. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, it did happen. And it kind of feels like with him, it could happen at any night or never again. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> yeah. You never really know um, what what kind of night Terrence is going to have. And it's interesting to hear him talk about it because whenever he has a good game, people will ask him, oh, like, you know, you're playing really well or you had a really good game. Are you feeling good? And he's, he always says the same thing, which is, I feel the same as I felt, you know, every other game this year. Like, I prepare the same way. I shoot the same shot. I think he wants I'm you guys doing. to stop asking that. <laughs> Some, but but he is right in, in, to to a degree. He pretty much does take the same shots. Sometimes they go in, and sometimes sometimes they don't. Obviously, a lot was made um, out of the extension that he that he um, signed with with the team earlier this year, and 
I think with him, the thing is, when you have a guy that's that young and that talented and has shown it in glimpses, you, the decision you make sometimes isn't what you're paying for now. It's if you're going to pay for the potential of what you, you think that the player can be. Are you going to bet on that? And the team did. Um, and I know that a lot of people want him to be so much more because they see, you know, they just see this crazy athlete who can do these amazing things that each of us wish we could do just once in our life and at gym just to feel what it would feel like to fly, you know? Yeah. But I think that he has been playing well and, and you're right, his role isn't such a huge role on this team, but because of the injuries, he has had to step up for them. The bench has had to step up for them and they have lately. I haven't really been, been too bothered by, by how things have been for him. I'm curious to see if we if, if if this is the kind of player he's always going to be, or if you know maybe something crazy happens and suddenly he's dropping 20 points a game. Like who knows? <laughs> he's like yeah. he's an enigma for sure. Um, and those guys are kind of fun, but you just I think that the key is not really counting on it because you don't know. <laughs> and this is head coach Dwayne Casey's fifth season with the team, and he's taken the Raptors from. Not exactly bottom in the East, but they were fourth and fifth in the Atlantic his first two seasons mm-hmm. there. And now they've made the playoffs two straight years, likely another year, hopefully this year. Can you just speak to a little bit in your interaction with him? What's his coaching style or strengths and weaknesses? How he fits with this team? Yeah, Dwayne is the type of coach that as a member of the media, like you pray for. You pray to be able to deal with a guy like that every day. You know, he's obviously proven himself as a coach, but as a human being, he's one of the best human beings in the league that I think most of us in Toronto would say we've ever gotten to deal with. He's just a really good person, and he really recognizes that while this is his job, and he loves it and is super passionate about it and is there hours on end, um, usually eating popcorn. cool thing, weird thing about Dwayne Casey is he'll often be in his office all day, and instead of getting food, he'll just eat popcorn. They will bring him popcorn. Kind of a weird little fact. Um, but, uh, but yeah, he gets that it is a game. And as important as it is and as much money as people make and, you know, obviously it's his job and it's you know, all the players, it's their livelihood as well. But he does get that it's a game and that there are more important things in the world. And, and I like that he, I think it's important when, when people, especially when you're coaching young teams, um, and you're getting guys that are fresh out of college, it's important sometimes for them to also see that there are things that are bigger than basketball and he does a really good job of balancing that um with respect to his coaching style obviously he is a defensive minded coach and you could tell that last year sort of drove him a little bit crazy the team was succeeding and they were doing well and they had surpassed expectations so he was trying to go with it and he was really supportive of his players but at the same time he would always you know at some point we have to be able to defend. Like at some point, the offense is going to go. And, and everything that he had said <laughs> is exactly what happened. So you can tell that he feels a lot more comfortable with the way things are this year, just the team being more balanced on both ends of the floor. But in terms of his coaching style, uh, the players seem to really like him and and, uh, and really respect that he's honest with them. Like a lot of players say that. Like he, one thing with Casey is he's very big on players knowing their role to the extent that when the season starts, he gives them a, a role card that literally says what their role is on the team and what is expected of them and what, what their teammates are going to need from that player for this to work. And he gives them a copy for their locker and he gives them a copy for their agent. <laughs> So he always says, like, he brings the players in, he gives them that talk of what their role is, and he always says they have the role card. No one can ever say that they don't know what we're asking of them. 
And I think the players like that he's just really straight up like that. It's been cool watching the relationship between DeMar and Dwayne because obviously when DeMar first came in, he had, you know, one coach, then another coach. And then to get Dwayne, I think he was just so thankful to have a coach and some stability for more than, you know, a season or two. Um, and you can tell that there's trust there. He really trusts his players. Like he wants them to feel confident to shoot. One thing he's really big on is, is if you have an open shot, you have to take it. Uh, if Patrick Patterson is struggling, which he had earlier in the season, he would say like, Pat's got to shoot. If he doesn't shoot, he's coming out. He needs to take those shots. Uh, yeah, he's a good guy. I mean, it's nice to see, to see where the team was when he came in. Um, and now to see, to see where they are now. And obviously for him and for everyone on the roster, the next step will be advancing in the playoffs. I thought it was really interesting when you brought up his relationship with Dermot Rosen, who is kind of an interesting case for a scoring guard in the NBA right now in that mm-hmm. he isn't, he doesn't shoot very well from the perimeter, and yet he's still, at least this season, pretty efficient scoring-wise. He's driving to the basket a lot. He's being aggressive, cutting down on mid-range attempts. Was that sort of a focus for him this season coming in? Yeah, I think that that was something that he, like every summer, every player says, you know, they work on everything to try to get better. But he really is a guy that um, is really coachable and he is always looking for ways, uh, you know, to, to get better or to tweak his game. He never wants to change it because he feels so comfortable and confident in what he does. People have often asked him, you know, why don't you shoot more threes and, you know, for your position, you know, you're not the um, prototypical wing. And he always he always says that he feels confident shooting the three. He just doesn't shoot them. I don't know if I really buy that he's going to suddenly just start shooting them and be a three-point shooter. <laughs> but he says, you know, that he's really confident in his game and in getting to the line. And I think that when you look at that, he kind of can't argue with him with the season that he's having. Cutting out some of the mid-range, uh, he's really just, been crazy at driving to the basket this year and finding ways to get to the line, finding ways to finish at the rim. And the thing about DeMar that makes him a guy that you root for is just how hard he works. He works tirelessly in the summers. I remember uh, Eric Corrine, a colleague of mine, uh, was asking him how his New Year's was and if he had any big plans. And of course, he said, no, I live a stagnant lifestyle, which is such a funny quote, but it's like totally DeMar. Because I remember in 2013 on New Year's Eve, we were asking him, like, do you have any plans? He was, like, 21 at the time. He was in Toronto, and they they actually had, like, a, a break, whereas the previous years he had played on New Year's Eve or, or New Year's Day. or New Year's Day. And he was like, no, nah, man, like, I'm just going to just gonna watch some synergy clips. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, that pretty much sums him up. So, yeah, I think he's a super coachable guy. I don't think they really want to change his game too much because it is working. Um, you know, why sort of try to fix something that isn't broken? But I, he's been playing great. Like, it's, he's definitely in the, the best stretch of his career. And one of the things that we've talked about a bit, but I think everyone's sort of focusing on the efficiency despite the despite the lack of uh, three-point shot in his game is he's also become a really good passer and he's a really unselfish guy. And I think that's part of what makes it work so well with him playing alongside Kyle. Um, And the attention that he's getting is allowing other guys to get open looks and he's getting good at finding them. We've now had 20 years of NBA basketball in Canada. And the early days of the Raptors with Vince Carter, Air Canada, obviously his nickname, and T-Mac, how important were they to the growth of Canadian basketball? Now we have guys like Andrew Wiggins, Tristan Thompson, and Kelly Olynyk who grew up watching them. 
Yeah, they were instrumental. Obviously, 20 years of basketball, but also we're going to have All-Star in Toronto in a month, which yeah. is very exciting. Huge. It's it huge. Is. It's huge yeah. uh, for the league, but it's really huge for the city. I know the fans are really excited, and I know people are just, they're excited to see All-Stars, but I also know they're really proud that um, the city's going to get to put on a weekend like that. Because uh, it was once upon a time where, you know, people tried to make it sound like Toronto was this terrible place to come play at and, and be in. And now everyone realizes that's ludicrous because it's an amazing city. <laughs> uh, probably sound a little biased there, but all of what I said is true. Uh, but to so your point, um, yeah, if you talk to any of the guys growing up, uh, the names they would mention, the two names that are always mentioned, like by every player, no matter the age, is Vince Carter and Steve Nash. Steve Nash, obviously, because he's a Canadian, uh, came out of nowhere, two-time MVP. He now is the general manager of the Senior Men's National Team Program, um, which is pretty cool. And he was one of the first guys to – I was actually I actually wrote a story on this for the All-Star Program just this week. So good timing. I had to interview Corey Joseph about it, and Corey Joseph uh, comes from a basketball family. Both of his parents played in university. His older brother plays professionally overseas. Cousins play professionally. Like, he's got a basketball family. But he said, you know, growing up, the first basketball camp he ever went to was a Steve Nash camp. It was a Steve Nash camp that Steve Nash brought across the country, and he had Jay Triano coaching the camp. And, you know, it was when he was, like, eight years old. And he remembered all the time that Nash took with every player. You know, at eight years old, you don't know what guys could potentially make it to the league or not. And now not only is Steve a mentor for him, but he's the GM of, you know, the, the national team program that he that he's a part of. And the other guy that everyone mentions is Vince Carter. And I think the big thing with Vince is number one, having a team in your country, not just in your backyard, for the for the Toronto kids, they could come to the games. For any any, you know, Canadian kid, those Raptor games were televised. So for those kids growing up for me, growing up, there was no league pass. It was really hard to see games. You only saw the, you know, the weekend game that would be on NBC or the Raptors because they would be televised nationally. So Vince was their connection to the game across the country, but also Vince in that dunk contest. So he put the Raptors on the map. He got them on national TV. He made people start paying attention to to Toronto and to the Raptors. So yeah, I think both of those guys are. Um, you know, the two biggest inspirations for all the Canadians that are in the league today. And it's really exciting to think about the attention that, that you know, Nash couldn't even get offers to school. And then you look yeah. at Wiggins or Jamal Murray, and it's, it's going to be really cool to see to see the league in, you know, five, you know, maybe even five years, ten years, just to see the number of Canadians that are there. Another really cool thing was that the Magic and Raptors got to play in London. Mm-hmm. Louis Scola, by the way, another key role player for the team. He's hit more threes this season than the rest of his <laughs> NBA career combined, which is pretty cool and part of a larger trend that we've talked about on the podcast. But he was very outspoken, advocating for more international games and even going as far as to say that it should be kind of like a tournament where you visit different cities and engage more fans globally. What do you think of that idea? There's obviously pros and cons. Just the logistics of it is a challenge, but gotta love that that attitude, right? Yeah, I mean, Luis is really great. He's such a fun guy to cover, and I think so often when guys have played overseas and then come here, people often don't know the extent of their career or their experiences because we see them as NBA players, so we know their career in the NBA, but you know, for Luis, he has played for his national team, you know, forever. He's going to do it again this year. <laughs> uh, he's been, you know, MVP in the FIBA Americas. He's been an MVP in the Spanish League. 
He's played basketball for 20 years of his life. Like we talk about Kobe's career right now. You know, Luis has been playing since he was since I think he I think he started playing when he was 15, and uh, yeah, 15, 16 was his first year. He was 15 years old, then turned 16 that first season. That's crazy, you know. His entire life has been basketball, so it's not surprising to me that he loves to loves to get some of those games. And I'm not sure logistically how it works, but I do sort of see the see the positive of it. If you're gonna take the trip over, if there'd be a way to make it so that you get more than one game and more fans can see. You know, you have like a little mini tournament or some sort of thing. I think that could be really cool. I, I like when I, I was saying this to on a podcast last week. I think it's really fun when the league gets to do things like that because you know how exciting it is. Or I remember I didn't, I wasn't from Toronto. I was from Nova Scotia. So I had only ever attended one NBA game in my life before starting to cover games. And that was a Lakers game that I needed to go to because I had a meltdown in my senior year of college thinking that maybe Kobe would almost be done and I would never see him in his prime. And I called my mom. I was working at the campus gym. It was a morning shift. It was a 5 a.m. shift. And I called my mom at 5.30 in the morning and I was like emotional at the desk (laughs) giving out passes saying, I need to see Kobe. I just thought, what if I never get to see him live? And so then I flew to Toronto to (laughs) to see a Lakers game. But I remember the excitement that I felt and that's what I think about for these fans that are getting to see, you know, their their first or maybe only NBA game and the age ranges in the audience. They can be from a child to someone in their 30s or 40s experiencing NBA in person for the first time. I think it's going to be cool to see to see how the NBA continues to expand in the years to come because obviously the demand and, and the desire is there. Sticking with the international theme, Bruno Caboclo from Brazil <laughs> the Brazilian KD. He's only 20 years old, but can you briefly speak to his progress so far? Ah, uh, that's a hard question, you know? <laughs> he's been uh, in the D-League, yeah. Yeah, he has been in the D-League, and he definitely has shown a lot of flashes, and I think the biggest thing with Bruno that has been interesting um, has just been the patience that the team has had with him. On draft night, the, the, uh, the tagline that immediately became, you know, got all the headlines was, He's two years away from being two years away. And the thing that I thought was telling was when uh, the Raptors general manager, Masai Ujiri, heard that he didn't shy away from it or he didn't say, no, that's crazy. He just said, hey, if he's two years away from being two years away, like we're, we're, we're sticking with him. Like that, I think that shows the belief that they have in him. And if you talk to his coaches, Jesse Mermis, who is the coach of the D-League team 905, or any of the Raptors assistants who have spent time with him, the one thing that they all say about him is just that they have to get him to stop working. They have to tell him, you can't come back to the gym tonight. You have to take time off. Yes, you're young, uh, but you have to rest your body because he just he wants so badly to be good and he wants so badly to fulfill the potential that he has. And one of the guys on the team that he ended up becoming really close with, uh, and maybe on the outside it would look like an unlikely friendship is James Johnson. And James Johnson would often last season when he wasn't playing after games, James would go upstairs and he would play one-on-one with Bruno after games. Like after the Raptors had played, the two of them would, you know, go upstairs in their workout clothes and play one-on-one, you know, until the lights were off and everyone else was out of the arena on the practice facility that's above, above the Raptors court. And uh, James would just say the things that he could do on that court. Like James would say, I'm a pretty strong defender and it's hard to get by me, but he's just so long um, that you can't stop him. And he said, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see where where he is or, um, you know, how long his, you know, journey to actually being an NBA player um, 
takes. But I think that it's cool that the team is invested in him. And I, I think that you mentioned the D-League team, 905. I think it's been really crucial that the team has that. And I think he's probably the biggest reason why they had that push to get that team this year. Well, thanks so much, Polly, for taking the time to talk to us. we got so much insight. It's such an interesting time for basketball in Toronto, especially with the uh, All-Star game coming up next month. Uh, hopefully, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry can make it there. I was joking yes, with the yes. guys. I was joking with these guys before the show that all it would take is for Drake to release a single on Twitter and just title <laughs> it hashtag NBA vote Kyle Lowry. You but, know, he Instagrammed posts for both Kyle and DeMar, and I have no idea how those votes or likes or comments are tabulated on Instagram, but he did Instagram it, but we didn't get the we didn't get the tweet bump. So hopefully uh, Kyle and Damar are both there. I think they are both deserving. And I think, um, yes, it would be nice to have two Raptors represented. But I also think if you look at if you look at the job the two of them have done to uh, have the Raptors where they are at this midway point at 26 and 15, yeah, I, I hope they're there. Drake, if you're listening, it's not too late. <laughs> I think it might be a little bit too late. <laughs> <laughs>